You know, if you follow the liturgical calendar at all, you know that yesterday was the feast of St. John Vianney. He was the patron saint of parish priests, the sisters, to celebrate, brought us over a peach cobbler. It was delicious, yes. Uh, just like I would cook it if I actually baked. Maybe would have added a, maybe a half a cup of food poisoning. I don't cook. So it was a great time. But as a new pastor, I remember a story about St. John Vianney. He was assigned to a small church in Ars, France. And a man who lived near the church noticed a light in the, early, the church in the early morning hours and wondered what the new pastor was doing at such an hour. So one day, long before dawn, the man watched. He saw a single candle leave the rectory, pass through the cemetery, and enter the church. The man followed. He peered into the church and observed the new pastor talking deep in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. Later, St. John Vianney told the man that out of reverence for Christ, who chose to be among us here on earth, but was alone in the tabernacle, the pastor went regularly to visit him. And out of a need to commune directly with his Lord and God in a quiet and dimly lit church, the pastor began each day by taking his hopes and fears to him who was truly present. In time, many of his church members followed before and after working the fields, as was evidenced by farm tools along the side of the church each morning and each evening, and the town began to change. This mystery of Jesus' presence has sustained the church and will be our focus for the next few weeks in this cycle of readings. Last Sunday's gospel included the story of the feeding of the 5,000, a key miracle that is obviously linked to the Eucharist. And after the people were fed, Jesus leaves. He goes to the hills because he realized that they would make him king, even though his time had not yet come. Today's gospel picks up the story when the people realize that Jesus has gone missing. Presumably, he must have crossed the lake, and the disciples wait for a bit, and not finding him, they also get into boats and go to the other side. And eventually they meet up with Jesus and question how he got there. But that's not important. He deflects their questioning by stating that they came not because of the signs that he had performed, but because they had eaten of the bread that he had given them. And then Jesus begins to teach about the Eucharist, telling them that the bread that he gives will endure for eternal life. So we meditate on the first part of Jesus' teaching on the Eucharist for this Sunday and then continue meditating on the bread of life discourse for several weeks, which tells us of its importance in the life of the church. So today Jesus explicitly links the Eucharist and the manna that Moses gave the chosen people in the desert. Manna was a gift from God to sustain his people on their long pilgrimage to the desert. Our first reading gives an account of how God provided for his people during that great journey. And recounting this episode from the history of Israel helps us to see the long story of how God uses bread as one of the means to bring his people salvation. In his discussion with the people, Jesus points out to them that the Eucharist gives life to the world. Of course, the people do not really understand what he is talking about since the Last Supper had not yet taken place and the celebration of the Eucharist is an unknown to them. Nevertheless, Jesus is preparing the ground. 
he is most importantly also preparing his disciples to understand the significance of the Last Supper when it takes place so they will understand its purpose. We were told that 5,000 men sat down to eat the bread and fish that Jesus had multiplied, but it could hardly have been 5,000 people who crossed the lake that day to find Jesus. That would have been a huge flotilla of boats that just wouldn't be available on the Sea of Galilee. I've been there by myself. It's just not that big. So it seems that the careful questioning of Jesus by those who made the crossing leads to the conclusion that perhaps these were leaders of the people, religious leaders. Jesus invites them to believe in him because God has sent him. So they start to interrogate Jesus. They're not asking him questions to understand. They are interrogating him immediately and asking for a sign in order that they might believe in him. But hasn't he just done that? He just fed 5,000 people with a few fishes and loaves. If that was insufficient, nothing ever would be. So Jesus is suspicious of their motives in Capernaum. That is, these people are not going to be satisfied by any of his marvels. They witness a great miracle, and then the very next day they ask for another before they will believe in Jesus. So we come to know that there is an agenda to the questioning. It seems that they want to trick Jesus. They ask for miracles, hoping that Jesus will somehow make a mistake and expose himself as a fraud. So Jesus doesn't perform any more miracles there. What he does do is points them toward heaven. He tells them that it wasn't Moses who gave their ancestors bread, but it was his father in heaven. And his choice of words calling God his father would have annoyed the suspicious crowd. He's making himself like God, it says in another place. Then he takes a bigger step. He says that he himself is the bread that gives life to the world. Jesus is speaking about a very deep mystery, and they simply do not understand him. And his words are addressed to his disciples and to us. For on the other side of history, we understand what he meant. We know it is the Eucharist that we receive Christ himself hidden under the form of bread and wine. Of course, Not all Christians believe what we believe about the Eucharist anymore. As we know, many Christian denominations don't accept the doctrine of real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. They think that Christ is only present in some sort of symbolic way. And they suggest that the bread and the wine might represent Christ, but they are not really him. We, however, have sustained this belief in the Eucharist that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He literally means that he is present to us when we receive him at Holy Communion. In the words of the Catechism, we believe that he is present body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist that we receive. This deep understanding of the Eucharist is absolutely central to our faith. It is the bedrock of our belief as a people of faith that has sustained the church for over 20 centuries. In the Eucharist, we know that we are fed spiritually and become part of Christ's body here on earth. And we appreciate that in the Eucharist, we experience 
the foretaste and the promise of the banquet of heaven where all of God's people will be gathered with our Savior Jesus Christ. When the people ask Jesus what they must do to be in conformity with the Father, he gives them one simple answer. You must believe in the one that he sent. We must believe in Jesus Christ. And if we believe that he is the Son of God and he has left us his church, we must believe in the content of his teaching. That is, we can't pick and choose a bit of this and a bit of that. No, we need to believe in the whole content of his teaching. And clearly a very important part of his teaching is what he tells us about the Eucharist. So it is vital for us as the people of God to get this right, to believe that Jesus comes to us in the closest and most intimate way possible in the Eucharist and takes up residence in our hearts so that when we are dismissed at the end of Mass, that we may go out and live the faith that we have received in Jesus Christ's present body, blood, soul, and divinity on the altar. As Jesus says in the very last sentence of today's gospel text, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. He who believes in me will never thirst.